All right, we're continuing in the Sermon on the Mount. We're in chapter 5 of Matthew, and we're in verse 8, where Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We're getting up on the Mount where Jesus sat. We've seen our total poverty of spirit, that we are spiritually bankrupt or spiritual beggars. But it's on that basis that entrance might be had into the kingdom of heaven because we are saved by grace through faith. A spiritual beggar, even after being saved, mourns over his or her pitiable condition and mourns over others that are in that same condition. And in that mourning, we find that we are comforted by the comforter whom Jesus has sent. Spiritual beggar mourning over his or her sin can't help but remain meek because you have a proper assessment of yourself. It's the meek person who receives, both now and later, every spiritual resource that's promised by the Father for all of our spiritual need. And then we also find within ourselves a desire to know God more fully, a spiritual appetite that is akin to the physical appetite of hunger and thirst, and uh, a, a desire to be right with God and to do right things for God. And as we understand more about God, we can't help but show mercy just as he shows abundant mercy and is abundant in mercy. We go on obtaining mercy in our own lives when we need it, and we will obtain a reward one day for the merciful deeds that we perform towards others. So that brings us to being blessed as the pure in heart. We remember that blessed means something like, oh, how happy and to be envied. And so it's, it's not so much, not just that God is pronouncing a blessing on us, as we, it's, it's a fundamental change in our attitude and understanding that we, we are embracing these characteristics as things that uh, characterize the Christian life and, and bring us true joy. And you're happy and envied when you're pure in heart. So let's start by talking about the heart. I think we all probably know what we mean by it, although it's hard to define. We start to define the, the heart in this uh, sense we get off track sometimes and and uh, it gets overly restrictive it's a word used to talk about your essential being who you are we might substitute the word mind as long as we understand it includes our thoughts and our will and our emotions some call it the center of our personality uh, it's the source from which your words and dreams and decisions flow so it's just basically you know who you really are your heart Christianity works at the level of the heart. It works from within, and then it works its way out. And that is the fundamental difference between Christianity and all the other religions and philosophies uh, that are available. Only God is able to work from within in the, in the heart. In Hebrews, he says he is able to discern between the soul and the spirit. Uh, and, and so God can get into our hearts. Uh, his word can penetrate our hearts. Uh, nothing else really has the ability to do that. So you can be a Buddhist, you can meditate, you can be a Hindu, you can do all these other things, but it can't really affect the essential person that you are. Uh, it, it only can affect outward behavior, uh, and uh, we, we ra- need a radical change of heart at that level. And this was even a radical concept to the Jews of the first century. All of Scripture, including the Old Testament, is really about the heart. 
Uh, even though there were, you know, we have a tendency, even as Christians, to read the Old Testament. And we see all the rituals and sacrifices, and and sometimes we even think that there was some kind of a, a a major change, you know, when we get into the New Testament because we don't do that anymore. Well, of course, there was a major change, but all of that outward ritual was about what God wanted to be taking place in the heart. It was an illustration, uh, and, and illustrations are good because it, it helps you to understand what God is all about. And that's why when we study the New Testament, we're always showing how Jesus is the fulfillment of these things. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, millions of lambs that were slain from the time of Adam and Eve up until the time of Jesus Christ, and, and of course after him as well in the Jewish temple, But so that you could say, oh, this is what God wanted. He, he, you know, there, there's no animal that could substitute for you, but it portrayed and pictured the coming of the Messiah to die for your sins. And you read the Psalms. David understood this, that it was a matter of the heart. You know, he would say, create in me a clean heart, O God. And, and uh, it, the prophets talked about God putting a new heart within them. And so we, we don't want to get tripped up the way the first century Jews were by their religious leaders into thinking that it was the external ritual that it was all about anyway. But the first century Jew taught by the Pharisees and the scribes. They were worried about keeping the letter of the law, uh, and that's why Jesus would point out later on in this sermon uh, the difference between the legalism and the heart. He would say things like, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. Well, that's great, but if you're even angry towards your brother, then you have sin, and in a sense, you've murdered that person in your heart. Uh, and all of us have killed a lot of people. I mean, we're we're all we're all serial killers on the freeway for sure, you know, and stuff. And and uh, and the idea is that obviously it's worse to murder somebody physically than to just hate them or be angry with them. But what Jesus is pointing out is that it, it from an eternal standpoint, as far as standing before God, it doesn't do any good to say to God, "I never murdered anybody," because God says, "But in your essential being, in your heart, you wanted to." And, and you hated and you, you had so and what God would do is expose that there is a problem in your heart and so the truth is the Christian standard of living is an impossible standard to attain or to maintain without the filling of the Holy Spirit that's the other thing all these other religions and philosophies indicate that it's possible to achieve a certain level of, of uh, being or you know you can break through and become a master or or have some kind of an experience and um, Christianity by definition is to be like Christ it's to be perfect and so you start off knowing that that's impossible on a human level and so the heart is a problem for us Billy Graham is the first person I ever heard say the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart I love those things they're you know Kind of like mystery men, you know, those, those little things. that The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And Jeremiah records God telling us that the heart is wicked and deceitful. Jesus would say that out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. So the, the heart's a, 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 a cesspool, I guess. I was going to say a, a reservoir with bad water, but it's really a cesspool. And this is why, by the way, a person cannot ever simply be reformed in their behavior to any eternal good. They can be reformed in their behavior to a temporal good, but not to any eternal good. Reformation is not what we're after, but regeneration. 
You have to be transformed from within. And this also answers the the uh, debate between nature and nurture, you know, and, and, and people are always talking about if we can just improve the environment of people, people will be generally better. Well, they'll be better off, but they won't be better. Uh, the environment, obviously it'd be nice to, to improve people's environment, uh, but they're not bad people because their environment was against them or they didn't have all of the privileges of life. Uh, we're, we're born dead in trespasses and sins. So the problem is the problem of the heart. And so that brings you to the descriptive word pure. It says, blessed are the pure in heart. And this describes a heart that is cleansed and without the defilement that is characteristic of our human nature. And, and one thing, I, I, it's hard for me to understand you know, how God stands outside of time and how all that works. And, you know, there's people like Chuck Missler who claim they understand it, but, you know, I, we don't. And, uh, but God already sees us as pure in heart. He sees us as in our completed state. Uh, because, well, here's why. If your heart is going to become pure, there's only two ways it might happen. One would be by your works and the other would be by God's grace. And those are the only two possibilities I can think of. If it's by works, if this scripture is saying that you have to purify your own heart, then we must all become monks and segregate ourselves from the world and just work on that 24 hours a day. Uh, because, you know, it, it would take that kind of effort. <clears throat> but not only is this ultimately impossible, it's clear from scripture on one level that we're not to to be segregated from society. We're supposed to be a part of society, reaching people with the gospel and reaching out to people. And, and so that can't be what it means. So it has to be by grace that the heart is made pure. And that's why the Apostle Paul could be confident when he said that God had begun a good work in us and would perform it until the day we stand before the Lord. Jesus himself said he's working in us to present us faultless, blameless, without spot and blemish before his Father in heaven. And so this is the work, God at work in me to cleanse me and to make my heart pure. He will finish what he has begun, and when that happens, Jesus will beam with joy as we stand together before the Father. Even though it's a work of grace upon my heart, what am I to do? Because Jesus says, they shall see God. Well, first, let me explain what this does not mean. It doesn't mean that only if I am pure in heart or pure enough will I ultimately see God. Uh, the scripture seems to indicate that at the end of my life, as long as I'm in this body of flesh, I will still have a wicked and deceitful heart. I will never achieve sinless perfection. Uh, it's just going to be impossible uh, as long as I'm saddled in the physical body that I have now. I... If anything, I become more aware of how deeply affected by sin I am in the flesh. Paul later in his life could say, I'm the chief of sinners. Uh, he, he understood. It wasn't a, uh, he wasn't depressed. He wasn't discouraged by it in one sense. <coughs> it was just a matter of fact. He saw how deeply affected he, his members were, as he puts it, by sin. Salvation is by grace through faith. My sanctification is my becoming more like Jesus, and that's a lifelong process that God has begun and promises that he will complete. So, what do I do? I put myself in a position for God to be working on my sanctification. To the extent that I see God in this life by faith, coming soon, 
I'm in a position for his work to make progress. The Apostle James put it like this. He said, draw near to God. This is James 4, 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And so that's the same kind of thing Jesus is talking about. It's that not that we purify our hearts and in order to draw near to God. We draw near to God and then he is able to continue this work that he's begun. Uh, we do have free will, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it. Uh, when we abuse our free will, it's, it's very unfortunate for us. God says, if you'll draw near to me, I will be in a better position to do this work of sanctification that I've promised to do. If you backslide, if you pull away from me, I will complete the work I've begun, but you, you won't be in a good place for me to make the progress I want to make. The Apostle John put a future spin on it when he said, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So the idea is, as I look forward to one day actually standing before the Lord, I will want to be as far along in my purification, in my sanctification as possible. Living backward from that future moment, it makes sense that I would live right now every day for that meeting and for that review. Some of you guys have been in the military. I mean, sometimes they have a, uh, an unannounced inspection, but a lot of times they tell you they're coming. And, you know, we're going to have an inspection in three weeks or in three days or whatever, and you work towards it. You, 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 you know, press out your uniform and you get out the white gloves and you do all that stuff so that you're ready for that inspection. And spiritually speaking, not that we're the ones who make ourselves ready or that God is going to reject us if we're not ready enough, but uh, in the sense of wanting to please the Lord, bring glory to God, those kinds of things, of course you would want to be getting ready to meet the Lord. And so this is what this is really about. It's, it's that God is working to purify your heart and you want to draw near and see God as much as you can in this life. Paul the Apostle says, right now we see through a glass darkly, then we'll see face to face. But as we do that, we are changed from glory to glory. And so really this is about just drawing near to God, keeping yourself in a place where God is working in your life. Um, I, I was talking here about how uh, in addition to the military app, uh, illustration, I was just thinking about Christmas. You know, Christmas is coming. All the talk aside of the materialism and how we shouldn't get wrapped up in different things, I understand that. But still, Christmas is coming and we celebrate it, whether we do it with food or presents, however we do it. Sooner or later, it's going to be Christmas morning. You're going to be ready for it or you're not. And, you know, and, and you can be wrapping presents until 11.59 Christmas Eve. That's fine, but you're either ready or you're not. And so this is about being ready and, and being excited about being ready because the, the, when it says the pure in heart will see God, it's a continuous tense, I'm told, in that word see, that you're continually seeing God. Uh, and, and what's interesting about that is that God saved us and is purifying our hearts as we draw near to him, we are continuously seeing him. From his perspective, this is what he wants. And we have to be careful talking about what God wants. It's not that God is lacking for anything, that he needed anything. He wasn't sad before he created us. Uh, he wasn't empty 
he wasn't thinking, hey, you know, <clears throat> we're tired of each other, you know, here in the Trinity, so, you know, we need more relationships or anything. But God created us for his pleasure, and he wants to have fellowship with us. And, and he's made a way for us to, con- to come back into fellowship after Adam and Eve could see God. I mean, they had face-to-face with God every day. And then they fell, and God has been working ever since that moment to come back into a face-to-face relationship with mankind. And, and it, it's not really possible physically yet you know, be, for you and I. We can't see God until we leave this body and have our glorified bodies, but we can see him by faith. And so as he is purifying our hearts, we put ourselves in a place where we are seeing him by faith, in his word, by his spirit, readying ourselves for that glorious day when we will bring glory to him. And, and the whole idea of reward, sure, I know, you know, and it's true, the crowns, the whatever, just so we can bring glory to God. Uh, it's not that I'm working for reward in the same sense that I maybe are, am working today uh, to, to get to a certain place of retirement or the golden watch or whatever it is they give you, you know, probably nothing at the county. But, uh, uh, you know, it, it's that in that day I will want to bring as much glory to the Lord. And I will realize, I mean, think about it. When you see the Lord, you're going to realize, hey, I should have done all the things that God wanted me to do. I, I, I just, it, even, not that you'd be better off. I mean, you're still going to be saved. And you're not going to be too... I mean, I don't think in heaven I'm going to look at Norm and think, man, you've got a lot more jewels than I do. I mean, I, you know, I mean, you're, you're bejeweled and I've got, you know, one ring or something. I mean, I don't think there'll be a competition, but there will be a revelation in the heart of, I really should have done all the things that you wanted me to do. I, 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 it would have made my life much more joyous because I would have experienced you more like I'm experiencing you now. And I, I, why did I waste all that time uh, you know, getting to know you and, and stuff. And so that's kind of the idea. So, so we want to be continuously keeping ourselves in a place where God is able to work on our hearts. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Amen? Let's be careful out there.